Good morning. This is another beautiful Wednesday, which means another Meathead Hippie podcast. I'm your host, Emily Schramm, nutritional therapy practitioner, personal trainer, and entrepreneur. And I am so excited about my guest today. This is someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time, but I have to give some forewarning. This got kind of strange. So we are both problem solvers, and I think that we're going to make anything work. So the place that we hit record and where you're going to start with is actually in the middle of our podcast. There were some audio issues and some sound issues, and quite honestly, until I edited this podcast, I had no idea what he was saying most of the time because that's Wi-Fi for you, <laughs> Wi-Fi for you. So I was re-listening to it for the first time after the fact and learning things all around. So I think you're going to love it. Um, Brian McKenzie, if you do not know of him yet, I have two books of his that are on my shelf, Unplugged. And one of the first books that I ever got, especially when it came to endurance, <laughs> which was something that I was like very anti for a long time, um, what is the Power Speed Endurance book. So he is a New York Times bestselling author. He also has many other books, including The Unbreakable Runner. Um, just a huge fan of his work and what he does. And I think what really drew us to each other were the captions on our Instagram. So understanding that both of us are changing and evolving and finding out, you know, our new identity in this new world that we're creating for ourselves. For me, I am writing a book. And so to take, you know, all of these things that I've done in the health and wellness world and then say, I'm writing a book and it's not going to be what you think, you know, that shifts you. And so I think it's uh, the work of constant, constant evolution, which is such a necessity to being a human, but also really hard and really, really a struggle. So we jump into it and I am, I think you're going to love it even with a little rearrangement of the podcast. Um, he is fantastic. Be sure you follow him. All his links are below where, where you're going to jump into when we hit play on the podcast is me talking about um, basically him saying yoga is not breath work. Yoga sometimes butchers it, right? True yoga, yes, is. But when we are breathing and a lot of people are saying that we are in a parasympathetic state with our breath, maybe that's not necessarily the case. And so I jump in and ask him about some ways that you can learn if you're parasympathetic or sympathetic. Before we jump into it officially, with this long, long ass intro, um, there are so many things happening and it's a little overwhelming, but it's all amazing and everything's fine. But I would love to make sure you guys know, number one, I am writing a book. So if you are in my Facebook group, I just did a little excerpt. You can get a little test of it. I would love for you guys to join that group. It's super fun. Facebook lives every week. Uh, also join my newsletter, emilystrom.com, because we are launching a brand new challenge. I haven't done a new one in a long time, and I just feel so excited about this. It is going to be about handling the hangry. It's a six-day program to help you handle the hangry. If you have ever been hangry, you know someone that's hangry, you still have those tendency, tendencies to be hangry, or you just want to learn more about it, we get really nerdy, but in a not-so-overwhelming way, six-day program. It's launching so soon. So be sure you're on my newsletter, emilystrom.com. 
All right, without further ado, let's get to BMAX bio so everyone knows how awesome he is. Brian McKenzie is an expert in the development and application of custom protocols to optimize human health and performance. His work harnesses and integrates respiratory, movement, strength, and endurance-based training approaches to elicit unprecedented positive results. He has been working with athletes as long, I mean, I'm talking world-class Olympic athletes, professional athletes. He's even in Tim Ferriss's four-hour body and tools of titans. Um, this guy is no joke. He does seminars, workshops, co-founder and president of the Health and Human Performance Foundation, and also the creative director at Power Speed Endurance. Again, all about human optimization, but also just a really good human that you're going to love. So enjoy the show. There's so much I want to unpack. So I think the first one would be, is there a way to like truly define for somebody without a lot of testing or without a lot of issues, the, I am in a parasympathetic state. I am in that non fight or flight state. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's plenty of ways to look at that. Um, we use breathing for that reason because when I can actually control my breath on the exhale, when I can actually maintain that. So anything, anytime you, you're, you're really doubling the exhale, you're, more, you're getting more parasympathetic. When you're breathing through your nose, you are more parasympathetic dominant. Now, that can change, but by and large, that would mean you're pretty, unless you're actually working at, you've trained yourself, which a lot of us can do at this point, working out or training or doing highly stressful things while breathing through your, your nose, you're, you're actually more parasympathetic dominant because the exhale becomes a, a slower process and, and the mechanisms that are set up parlayed through there allow you to remain more parasympathetic dominant, which allows us to actually burn more oxygen as fuel um, and, and, and limits our ability to go harder or get more stressed out because there will inevitably become a part where you need to open your mouth because you do not feel like you're getting enough air, but that's just, you're not offloading enough carbon dioxide. So talk to me through that, because this is something I relate to very strongly about uh, not mm -hmm. being able to hold my breath for a long time, but it's something I'm really working on. <laughs> so mm -hmm. when I'm saying that the CO2 is built up and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, I need oxygen, let me breathe. But it's not that, mm -hmm. there's another way to offload it. Mm -hmm. What would that look like physically for somebody that's trying to offload it? <laughs> yeah, uh, very stressful. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because if you've ever had like, so yesterday I had, uh, some of the most transformative body work that I've ever done. I, I had some guy Ooh. work on me that, and I literally in 30 years of getting body work, I have never had anybody put me through what I went through yesterday. And what, what did he do? Well, he does this, uh, he, he does this technique where he literally like walks on you. He has a walker. Like, you know, an old person's walker, yes. but he literally walks on specific tissues and only applies enough t pressure to where he's literally breaking through the, the fascia and, and the tissue, which at, for certain tissues, not a problem. 
For other tissues, <laughs> it is a big fucking problem. Like, <laughs> and it went from like, oh, this is great to, I don't think I'm going to survive this. And my I, my heart rate must have been through the roof and I was sweating and my breath rate went from to like these changes to, to happen naturally. And when we understand what they are, it becomes apparent what's happening. Now, when I, when, when most people go to hold their breath, what, what we need to understand and what I'm correlating here is I knew at, at a specific point where I needed to make those changes because the intensity was getting so high that I was needing to make those changes for my body, right? In order to offload more CO2. And there's instant cha- instantaneous changes that you can feel because you actually change the pH of the system. So breathing is our, is our main way of changing the pH or the alkalinity of our blood. So our chemistry, right? And so when we regulate that, you can actually change pain receptor sites and, you know, getting into it deeper and understanding this, this process of pain or what I'm feeling. If you can wrap your head around, this is just temporary, this will pass at some point, or I will get used to it. Um, If you can't open up those doors and those options, then you're not going to understand that that's what's going to happen, right? And so you're purely reactionary. And... So thinking that you can't hold your breath any further because you need air is really just a trick that your brain is playing on you. And if you go spend any time or watch free divers hold their breath out of water and and do training, you will see that they go through what are called splenic contractions and convulsing. And this is bypassing the mechanisms set up in the chemoreceptors that are telling the brain to breathe. And they're very painful spots that you and I, when we experience them, we experience it once. Um, I, I know mo- most, most of these people can do three, four, five, six passes at these things where they go into these states of, you know, like convulsing or freaking out and then it bypasses and it becomes, it, it, and your body feels fine. And then you wow. hit, hit it again and then you hit it again. And this is why they'll hold their breath for, you know, seven minutes or so underwater. And I just- I just learned this about the spleen because of I watched this amazing documentary. I I believe it's the Bajou tribe that they like, you know, to get food, they had to mm-hmm. fish to get lower into yeah. the water to get more fish. They had mm-hmm. to hold their breath and they were literally yeah. they they had bigger spleens. They have bigger spleens and it's like incredible to just see natural selection at work in real life in real time. And so I I mean, for me, I was like, wait, the spleen is what helps you hold your breath? And so it was just this. Well, what it does is it unloads red blood cells. It's for the blood. It's literally, yes. so it's the whole process. It's so So incredible. if you go hold your breath for a maximal time and you get yourself to kind of convulse a little bit, you do a max breath hold, you will get that, you'll trigger that spleen to dump some more red blood cells. It's just a little trick. And so then you've got more oxygen carrying capacity. But on the flip of that, like like we went over with those gears, you've also got more carbon dioxide carrying capacity. Mm, and, and that's the thing that we, 
I mean, for somebody that's training as an athlete or somebody that's training, you know, to be a better performer, the skills, is it just simply learning how to breathe? Is it breath work um, multiple times a day, including in your training? What is kind of the protocol? I know you teach about this in your, yeah. in your work, but I'm just curious, is like there a minimum amount of time that this has to be at the forefront of your mind? Because like, this is, I feel like for me, this is, I always would have to be thinking about it. If I'm so bad at it now, and Mm -hmm. is this profound and changing the way that we can breathe and perform and trigger parasympathetic? I mean, how long does that take to train somebody? Not very long. Um, Some people are... um... You, you know, th- th- there's a rare crowd, like I'd say probably 10%, um, that has CO2 tolerance pretty dialed, uh, that, that, that don't even know, haven't even figured it out, right? And then there's those who need to train. I wasn't one that had it figured out. <laughs> um, and, and thus I trained it. Um, and, and I still train it to this day, but it really doesn't require a whole lot. In fact, for most people, it's a couple of standalone five-minute sessions a day. Hmm. Um, that inevitably turns into throughout your day. But then when we start to add these the, the underlying, the foundations into what it is you're doing for training, like we can make such radical changes to what's happening with your own training. Like I don't need to recreate your program. We don't need to recreate your program. You show us your program and we can alter things in there with breath control that'll literally elicit changes that you didn't realize could be had. And so when we start introducing these sorts of things, that's where it, the the brain flip switches on because you're like, oh, (laughs) I've been missing this entire thing. And, and, And that was my whole thing. I was like, holy shit what what why were like i i like i had a yoga practice like i i i i have one today but i i did years ago but i was doing it for like flexibility <laughs> like so that i could maintain all the other things i was doing and it was like at the foundation of yoga is a breath practice it's the oldest movement and breath practice we know of and then there's there's many other things out there as well that have laid framework for a lot of other things but somehow in human performance we miss the boat (laughs) well I feel like and it's true I that I get frustrated with yoga in general because there's so many things that it's taught us and has taught us but the fact that most yoga facilities or yoga practices or yoga gyms or whatever studios don't mention that as the forefront. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. we can't, you know, can't blame ourselves for that. Like, I think that's something I've learned and finally started getting into a little bit of Kundalini yoga, which is like the Mm -hmm. most bizarre thing I've ever, I'm like, how did we (laughs) not know about this? Because nobody, that's not something you'll see in core power, right? It's just not something that is going to be normalized, I think for a long time. So it's kind of the, the difference of what can be accepted by society and what is actually effective. Like that's the line that everyone's trying to, to walk, but I don't think they're walking it enough. Oh, oh, make no mistake. Human beings exist in yoga too. And, and, you know, like, look where there are human beings who are looking for kind of a shortcut or a cool thing to do. 
we, we, we have steps that have been skipped. And, you know, that, that, that's with anything. And, and I'm, I'm as much a part of that as any, anybody, you know, I mean, a lot of people thought I felt like I was skipping steps with, you know, a lot of the endurance stuff we did, but, you know, a lot of people also didn't understand that I, I had, I used to have a long distance, long, slow distance approach to everything, um, you know, before we created the programs that we did, but nonetheless, we, we, we start to do this is just because we want to jump to, Hey, I want the change. And especially today, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, we've got, you know, technology is providing convenience and comfort and that's a very dangerous thing. It doesn't mean technology is wrong. Uh, and it's, or bad. It, yeah. It's, it's what we gravitate to. Like, look, there, there are like, there's nothing wrong with McDonald's. Except for the fact when McDonald's is your only thing you're going to for your nutrition, Mm -hmm. right? Like I remember being a kid. We went to McDonald's maybe once every two or three weeks, right? And it was this big deal thing when we went. And that was it. (laughs) That was it. My mom would not – we were not allowed to go back. I didn't get to drink soda all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean there were just things and and, and so we've fallen into these paths of – trying to skip steps. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to do is what, what we as a whole are really trying to do is create a language so that people can kind of understand what's going on so that we can take a few steps back and really start to use just our innate ability to understand where we're at and navigate that with those tools. And breathing just so happens to be that foundation we kind of skipped. And that's why we're moving back to it. (laughs) I'm going to go on a tangent and then I'm definitely going to get back into breathing because I want people to just start breathing today with you. Um, Because Mm -hmm. with technology, what you said about it being convenient and comforting and, you know, kind of this blanket that we don't know how to live without, I find it so interesting because... I don't know. I'm making this percentage up, but if 98, 99% of new businesses or new launches and new programs or new tech is just simply to make your life more comfortable and more convenient, right? It is that, Mm -hmm. that is our world we live in. Uh, I know you're the creative director of power speed endurance. So your company of working with people and I'm just, this is the line, like the wall that I always hit that I get so frustrated with is that, when you look at these companies and these companies are making things more convenient and in in time we do that too for people, but it's like marketing and advertisement and the budget that's put for these companies that have a lot of money behind them. It is so appealing. And it's like the, the water, the stream that we're like swimming upstream against, right? The, how do we teach people to care more? How do you teach people to, that the extra efforts are always, in the long run, in the long term, so much more beneficial when we're in a world that's looking for shortcuts. And it's just something that I felt like you would relate to because it's so frustrating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and I know like my listeners, you guys are not those people, right? Like, well, maybe some too, but this is a good awareness of just saying like it is, we're so as is, with the brain you were talking about, our limbic system, we want the easier solution. We we are drawn to survival and the path of least resistance. So it's, you know, when we're looking at the health issues that we have, and especially in the field you're in, how does one 
even start to begin to explain the importance outside of these good conversations that we have to have of like the the path of least resistance is actually the the reason that we're in the place we're in. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I, we're in the same the, the same thought process with this thing, and it's very difficult because we both exist, and both of our careers probably exist because of this medium. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, and 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 you know, like you, if MTV didn't exist, what would you? You know, what what would what would be? You know, totally. like fuck. Like if the internet or social media didn't exist, what would be? You know, mm-hmm. and well, we'd probably be just fine. Just be a different story, <laughs> a different experience. Um, you know, we, I, you know, I, I see the, the biggest issue is that we don't see ourselves in the very things that, that um, we see as problems. Mm. And whether we're looking at this politically or, um, or you know, the internet. Or you know whatever, or, or or just global problems, right? Um, the the biggest issues that we have are the are the problems that we see in ourselves, and that is a very hard thing for us to bite off. Um, and you know we 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 fail to recognize that although we may not be intentionally doing things or like, you know, like whoever, you you know, whatever's going on, like, Hey, I've got my social media platform. If I'm on my, if I'm on my social media feed all day, it's not the social media that's the problem. It's me. And, you know, it, it becomes this thing where then I go and I, you know, I start talking about that more, but yet, you know, and, and it's driving me nuts that, people are thinking the way they are and doing things the way they are, yet I'm participating in what is going on in that whole thing. So there's, there's this paradox that really exists there, you know, and, and I think that's where the struggle is. And, and I've found that the things that irritate me the most are the things that I just don't like in myself the most. And that doesn't mean those are glaring defects, right? But those are the problems that we see. And so when we've got these things, these ease of use or this com- level of comfort that we get from, hey, I'm my social experience is going to be to check how all these people are doing on social media or move to this thing to, to, to feel validated. It's do I have enough ability to understand how I feel when that happens? And for me, it's as easy as my day started pretty shitty today because I actually went to my phone and started doing email and jumped on social media first. Yeah. Like if I can start to pick up on these little patterns and this is just hyperbole, right? But mm-hmm. it, it, it could be that that does happen. I will not deny that. Like that does happen. And that inevitably triggers things that inevitably ha- have a setup process of me internalizing things and looking at things very differently from going and when I wake up in the morning and taking care of myself and doing the things that I know that make me feel good so that I can go out and do the things that I know I want to share with people and I want to experience and I want to give to the world, right? Or wh- whatever that is. And what do you want? And, and what do you want out of this life? And what do you want to create? And that's inevitably... Like social media is no different than anything else. Mm-hmm. It, it really isn't. It's no no different from how we've existed 
a hundred years ago. It's just, it's this thing that we've created that's now allowed us to touch anybody. And if we don't realize the responsibility that comes with that, well, then that's the problem is it literally comes down to responsibility. And so when I have young male lions trying to comment and, and you know, you see it's, I'm just, you know, just creating conjecture here, but it's like, this is typically who is talking shit on the internet is you've got this little, this, this mid 20 male who really is trying to climb a ladder and he's commenting in your comment field and, you know, talking shit to a large degree. Right. And if that is your play, if that is your move, you're just showing me who you are. And therefore, I now know who you are and how you behave. And if this is how you behave behind closed doors, fuck, you got problems in the real world. And more than likely, those problems are you don't actually stand up and do anything. Mm. And that's what we're seeing. And that's the problem that we actually see is that people like you who are actually putting yourself out there and, and now I, you know, you're, you're like, you're getting these opportunities to grow and you're getting more exposure, you know, and that is because you're actually willing to dance mm-hmm. and let people see you dance. <laughs> and that is what this is for. Mm-hmm. We're here to share that, that, that is our innate, like, like down to the cellular level. Like that is what cells do. We, we made a deal. Our cells made a deal half a billion years ago. It's called multicellular organisms. They said, hey, <laughs> yo, let's, let's figure this shit out and use this oxygen that's in the air and we'll create something out of it and get more of us to make deals so that we can then create life and, and better life and more efficient life. And that was evolution. That was what we did. And that's storytelling and that's history. And that's, this is like, but that's the base layer of who we are. It's to pass on our genes and share information. I haven't passed on my genes, so I'm just sharing information. <laughs> yes, same, 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 same. Right? I think, yeah. and what's happening, and this is with, and I think all, all humans are creatives. We just either tell us, yes. tell ourselves we are or we're not, right? So if you're a creative and then all of a sudden, and this, this is why I'm just obsessed with your captions and your posts and why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I feel like we could just talk for hours, but it's saying when we are as a creative, which, which means you evolve, you grab things, you are a sponge, you consume things, you see things and then you interpret them. And then in that interpretation, it comes out through you in a different form. Like that is creation. And so when we find these things that we get stuck on, whether it is our career, it's an, it's some sort of, some sort of noun, right? Writing Mm -hmm. teacher, um, you know, editor, creative entrepreneur, whatever it might be. If we define ourselves and this is why I think it becomes so much of a problem and why it's so systemic is that you as humans we need definition so we are now defined by this noun that we are something that we like it's this identity which is what you say in this post that I love it's who are you right parentheses Mm -hmm. identity and then at any point if we do evolve which we are supposed to as creatives if we evolve and that starts to split off, uh, 
there is this identity crisis. There mm-hmm. is also this resistance. There is also mm-hmm. this anxiety. There is also this, oh shit, what am I going to do? This isn't right. And you're literally gripping onto something that was never meant to be yours forever. And I feel... preservation yeah, and I would love, yes, self-preference. Please go on this this post that you made if it was, I know it's in multiple posts, but this one specifically oh, yeah. about, go for it. I would love to know your thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're it, it, I mean, we're, we're by design, you know, to survive. I mean, we're supposed to be out in the wild. We're, we're not supposed to be in homes and doing what we're doing, but we are doing that, right? Like, and I, and I don't mean like, I, I mean, from our bio, like biologically, like we're designed, we're hardwired and set up to navigate survival and self-preservation is a part of survival. Um, and, you know, we've been gifted somehow, some way we've been, we've evolved something that allowed us to create what is the mind, right? And And I think of the mind as like the, every cell in the body, um, it's not, it's not the brain, um, a brain, the brain's a part of it, but all, all cells in the body are communicating. Like they've almost got like their own brains, you know? And, and, and so the, the mind, when we kind of get attached to things, at least this has been my experience, you know, through my life has been when I've become these things, these ideas that, that I, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, coach, runner, you know, what, whatever, you know, um, skateboarder, surfer, um, you know, they, they become these things that when exactly what you're saying, when there comes a point to evolve or move to something else, there's this struggle. And, and that can be, that could be as difficult as like, I'm an alcoholic, right? Um, that's an identity as well. I'm a drug addict. That's an identity. You know, um, whether you're sober or not, these are identities. And, um, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm a coach as an identity and, and thus it's, if this is where I'm boxing myself in, then I need to play by the rules inside this box. And I don't think we're designed to be in a box. I think what real consciousness is, I think what true, uh, limitlessness is, is the ability to create in and out of the lines. And in order to exist, and this is a, this is a Bob Dylan quote, and in, in order to exist outside the law, you got to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that, in if you can really distill that down and understand that, you know, you can't look at the criminals of the world, but you, you, you sort of can. It, paradoxically, you can, because these are people who are struggling to exist within inside the lines of society and haven't figured out like some of these people are some of the most creative people in the world putting their energy into shitty things right but it's like how do you take that energy and recreate that you know and these are things i'm trying to get involved in now like i might get the opportunity to go into san quentin and and help with a program there and and that helps change that you know i'm doing things that help understand this identity of you know, I'm a prisoner or I, I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a criminal. No, <laughs> that was what you thought you were. Distill it down to not even the senses that you're using. Like the, un, unattach yourself from the emotion of what it is you're doing. Doesn't mean you need to get rid of it and you can't understand it. It means remove yourself from the reactionary res- 
the reaction of what happens with an emotion to something so that you can come down and see what that emotion is about. Because it isn't really about what that situation is. It's, it's, it, that's, that's, that's a pattern. And so patterns become the identity. And so we believe the pattern of what it is I'm doing to be true when in fact that's just some fixed thing that I created. And whether that's the way I walk, the way I talk, or the way I think, those are patterns. And so mm-hmm. I'm, what, we, what we try to do is break down these walls of thinking that that is who you actually are because that isn't who you actually are. That, that is what you're attaching yourself to. And what we are is so much more than that. It's so mm-hmm. unlimited. And in that place where we remove ourselves from that, we all experience this on a daily basis usually, right? Yeah. Unless we're totally depressed or totally anxious all day long, like and really you know, need some real medical treatment, like most of us get glimpses of what this feels like. And, and it's joy and love and, and all of these things that, that really are out there. And you're just like, I feel a freedom that I've never felt. And kids experience this all day when they're playing. You know, and, and the sad thing is, is like there's two or three kids that play on my block and, and this is a big community, right? And I yeah. remember distinctly as a kid that they, our, our parents used to block off the block every day so the cars wouldn't drive down it and like all the kids were outside playing, all of them. And, mm-hmm. and that's just not, you know, and, and like, so we're taking this away. This whole thing, and that's what I'm getting at, is we're kind of removing this and trying to box everybody in. And it's like, I've watched, like, I remember being a trainer back in like, fuck, 05, and working at this um, facility in Newport Beach with, you know, 40 other trainers, and they were all friends of mine. And we, we worked with all these clients, and it was a lot of the, the women who had kids in Newport Beach. And it literally became a, com- it was a competition for your kid to get into Mon- Montessori school. Like, they were literally talking about getting into the most expensive, thought out, well done schools for Montessori for their kids. Then kindergarten, you know, and it was like, what are, what is that? Like, <laughs> how, how, what, what are we trying to do here? Yeah. And, you know, and this is all part of the process. You know, I'm, it, school's not bad, but school ain't the answer. Memorizing things is not what we should be doing. We're not yeah. teaching how, how to expand the mind. We're not teaching what, like... The, the 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 most the most the, the the thing we know the least about, which is our own brain, really, yeah. like li- literally, yeah, we're not teaching anything about. Mm. Hey, like, and and there's so much we actually understand already, and it's like, what is it about understand? Like, how do how do we get people to understand their own perception? You know, and and that your perception can be changed. And if you can realize your perception can be changed, we just got you to understand empathy. Oh, yes, which is so lacking. And I think, oh my God, I have like eight different things that I want to go. The first thing is that I think the they, this is just the first thing that popped in my head about empathy. I swear mm-hmm. as a society, the only common denominator that's going to allow us to see empathy and feel empathy 
I know this is so cheesy for me to say because I'm a huge animal lover, but mm-hmm. what is the thing that brings people together? It is always animals. What is the thing mm-hmm. that make people care about global warming? Animals. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that's going to make people actually make changes? I really think it's going to come down to the fact that animals are going to teach us the lessons that we refuse to learn ourselves as a human, as a human race. Um, but what are your thoughts on this pro- this process that I had of thinking about education just really quickly of how I feel like education itself isn't necessarily the answer, but it's the problem solving process that education teaches us and how that is now lacking. So like looking at something so quickly and finding answers to things without even having to really search that much, right? The, a quick Google search. I think that process of saying, I don't know the answer to something. And the first thing, the second thing, the third thing, I still didn't get it. We tend to just quit. It's like we we are we don't want to problem solve, and I guess that kind of goes back to what we first talked about of like, you know, the the path of least resistance. But as even as kids, my mom's an eighth grade math teacher. It's like they don't they don't want to do math. They have calculators in their hands. They don't need to do that. So it's but it's not necessarily the math that's going to be applicable to their their career and their you know growth in society. But it it's the I don't. I don't know the answer to this and I have to go through a lot of no's and a lot of like, oh, my brain hurts moments. I feel like that's what we're missing. Who Mm. does that? Who puts themselves in those situations? I mean, sometimes I catch myself. I'm like, if it's too hard, I I feel too resistant to it. I don't want to do it. But that's as we know is somebody that goes through sometimes these athletic performance things put you in that spot where you're like, oh, this is what it feels like. And that's what it feels like after. That is the addiction of it. Yeah. Ugh. And, uh, you know, I think physical, that's why physical movement is so, fi- like a physical or a movement practice is so important. But I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you about that entire theory. Like, um, you know, I, I just, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you're spot on. Um, we, we just aren't, you know, look, you're you're a problem solver. I'm a problem solver. That's yeah. why we're here. That mm-hmm. that is that, that that's it. I, <laughs> I am literally trying to solve problems, and 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 the way I do that is I start with myself, and then somehow, some way, and I think about this a lot. I'm like, why am I? Why do I get attention for what I'm doing? Like I'm just trying to solve it problem, my own issues, at which point then I share those problems once I've vetted them out to some degree. Um, you know, and, and, and a, 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 a lady who I worked with, um, not too long ago, who's pretty hardcore. Um, you know, she, she was like, Hey, you need to recognize. And I think this goes for you too, you know, and, and anybody who who's learned to do these things is people are attracted to you. There's a responsibility in that. Mm, yes. And I don't mean physically, like physically the way you look, no, but yes, that yeah. is that 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 comes with things too. You know, but nonetheless, like it's like look, you you have specific things you're doing and people are attracted to you and and things are happening. There's a responsibility in that. And I think that's part of our own creative problem is that we don't totally understand that and sometimes we don't want that because it can get overwhelming, you know? I'm I'm sure you get messages and things all the time. I do. And sometimes it's maddening. And 
I don't know how I get overwhelmed with it sometimes and I don't know how to deal with it. But then it's like, no, I do know how to deal with it. I I can write about this. I can, I I, I can do something about this and then share about it, you know, and and sharing it in, in the sense that it's like, it's different when you said, I love this quote of, you got to be honest. I've never heard that Bob Dylan quote because it's saying, you know, it's not necessarily, yes, you have to be vulnerable. Right. But it's saying, I think the line that we see all the time that's crossed and gets muddied is I'm going to share this because I need affirmation or validation Mm. that I'm not alone in feeling this. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing that I think is so easy to get to. It's like, I'm sharing this because I'm going through it, but it's like, eh, are we sharing it because you're going Mm. through it and you feel really, really lonely in the going through it? Or are you sharing Mm. it because that intention is, you know, Hey, I just want to share it. And I think we can always just by, we can literally gain depth as a human, you know, in every single problem that we have or every single scenario that we face just by saying, what is my intention behind this? Like really deep down layer to layer, what am I looking for by doing this? What am I seeking by doing this? And that's the honest that's the honesty that I think we have to demand of ourselves to see any sort of progress in the world that we live in. I, I, I cannot disagree with you, Emily, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I think that I've got, I'm getting to a point right now and I, you know, I mean, I, I'll be totally honest. I, I'm in a massive struggle in my own like life at this point because of what I've come to learn and who I was. Ah, oh, we're me too. Me and, too. And this becomes that place where it's, hey, welcome to darkness. And here is where the dance begins. And it's like, okay, what what do you want? And and instead of attaching myself to something, you know, like like look, I I, I get very quickly pigeonholed into the breathing guy now. And I'm not the breathing guy, but I'm breathing's a tool that I've really grabbed onto and learned to use. And I can manip- I know how to manipulate things and do some pretty cool shit with it and help people with it. And I'm gonna use it and it's a part of what I do. But so is training, you know, and so is a lot of the things I do, whether it's, you know, in the gym or whether it's in, you know, on a bike or, you know, running or, you know, whatever it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. But these are just tools. And so getting too attached to those things is what the problem was. And, and so this is where that separation is occurring to where it's like this becomes like I am becoming something right now that is it, it's a struggle. It's not easy at all. And that it, I can only share that stuff. The, the only thing I know how to do is to write it out and, and just put it out so that I can see what happens with that when I put it out and, and meaning inside. And I feel this relief when I write something out because what I write typically and what I put out is something i am been going through or I've dealt with. And so that's where I start to see things. And whether I get that you know through listening to music or seeing something or experiencing something, it, it, it's all, you know, like it's all kind of the same and it just comes to me to where I'm like, Hey, I got to put this out and I got to do this. But it, there are times where there is an inauthentic part to it. And that is what the struggle is, 
is because there are times where I, I feel like I, 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 I like, I like seeing people like things, right? Mm-hmm. Like you cannot fucking deny that. That's yeah. real. That is real. That is, Hey, I walked into a room and somebody said, hi, now it's good to see you. That's mm-hmm. what that is. And that feels good versus this is fucking stupid, <laughs> right? Like, and I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just, and it's like, ugh, like, who's that asshole? But I'll tell you what, anybody who's done any real critical thinking or any real critical commenting or questioning of, of my work and directed it at me has made me better. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at that and been able to go, oh wow, there is kind of a hole there. And I, you know, maybe I didn't, you know, maybe, maybe I'm doing something here that I, you know, I should look deeper into, you know, and I should, I should figure out a little bit more, vet out a little bit more. And, and that's where that sting comes from. Because the fact is, is if somebody calls me a penguin, I can't remember where I heard that, but I heard this thing <laughs> and it's like, Hey, somebody calls you a fucking asshole or versus if they call you a penguin, which one are you going to react to? Well, the, the asshole. Yeah, because there's there could be there's a part of you that believes that you could that you're be an, an asshole. asshole. You're yeah. in the mirror. You got it. But I, if I'm gonna pay attention to the love that I'm getting, then I need to pay attention to the hate that I'm getting. It's either that or I need to actually dissociate from it all. Mm. And you know that's the struggle. I think is really understanding how to do that. Yeah. And I think it's also, well, the fact that you're honest in the sense that you were able to say that, right? That That is the beauty of finding and the dance that you talk about, which I really like that term for it, because I think most mm. of us aren't willing to be brave enough to even say that. So I think that's just so much progress, right? It's just acknowledgement of where we are, whether it's state of being or state in our transition or in our transformation. And I think what I found is the frustration I felt for so long that I was just beating my head against the wall with was the fact that I, for so many time, for so many years, it feels like forever of feeling like I would put my heart and my soul into something that had so much depth. And when then, when those moments weren't received, when those moments weren't you know, Mm. kind of seen in the way that I felt like how much I cared about them and how much purpose and how much this would really change somebody when those moments weren't received well, that's when I started to just see that split happen where why am I really in a part of a world that is going to only value this when I know that they should be valuing this. And I, for a long time, sat in the middle of that place where I, all I wanted to do was convince them otherwise, right? And so finally mm-hmm. feeling like this year was like, okay, I actually, the louder I am trying to be, the less I'm heard because there is no way for me to get these people to see this side of it. There's no way for me to push them into the state of evolution that I want them to be in. And the only way to do it, and this is why I'm just so, again, obsessed with animals, is this, the reason I love whales, is they, they, when you hear them talk, when they talk to each other and when you listen to them, even though I haven't, I, that's why I got into studying about free diving because 
you can't scuba dive with whales, but you can free dive with whales. So I was like, oh shit, I need to learn how to hold my breath because that's something I have to do before I die. It, the way that they speak to each other is at such a low frequency, you can't hear it, but you can feel it. And that was such a powerful analogy for me to understand this is not about what I say, it's about how I move people. And I cannot move people by what I say, I move people by who I am. And that split just, as soon as that split, I saw it, I'm like, oh, I'm gone. I'm, I, I'm no longer in this middle place. I can be on this other side and be at peace with it. And it took me a long time to find that peace, but, uh, and not to say it doesn't, sh- it, I don't get triggered by those mirrors for sure, but uh, it's been a re- it's been the best year I've had because of that realization that I do not have to be in the middle. I do not have to struggle to get people on the side that I'm on. I just have to be who I am. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I get and, you what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I animals do play a, a pretty interesting role. Like, I mean, my dogs are my kids. Um, yeah, and and literally, I like you know my. My oldest is like, she's 11 and, you know, I know like she's doing well, but she's, you know, I know she's not got much time, you know, as much time. And and that bums me out when I think about it, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is this animal that just unconditionally loves and doesn't even know she's going down or like she, she's deteriorating. And I'm like, why am I even thinking about it like that? <laughs> but <laughs> I it, know. It, that. Like, I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go of her. Like, this dog can do no wrong, right? Like, you know, and, um, but she yeah. can and she does. And, you know, but animals are um, interesting because of the unconditional aspect, especially pets, like, you know, dogs. But, you know, you look at an animal and you see something that is, it, it just is. Like, what we're not doing is just being. And, you know, that's, that's the struggle is that when we're being, we're just being like animals, right? And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that we can't think and have emotions and those are important and, and they're, they're critical to like our survival and the way we evolve and what we're doing. And I really think that there's just this, there's this place that, you know, I mean, but there's also a gross misunderstanding of animals, you know what I mean? Like I got to go and dive with great white sharks and get out of a cage and do that. And you would think that, yeah, it, but you know, like, and it was like, holy shit, these are dinosaurs. Like, this is a dinosaur that's going that could, in an instant, just annihilate me. And and the moment you see them, you understand that. Like, there's an innate <gasps> thing. Amazing. It just clicks. Oh, yep. No, nope, shouldn't be around that. Like, not even close to that. Like, if it chooses, I'm done. There's no questioning that. And yet, <laughs> you get out of a cage 40 feet under the water in shark infested great white shark infested waters and you see the reality of it they're curious wow they're just curious and they are like many other creatures but they're very dangerous curious animals and they need to be treated with respect and it just so happens when you don't behave Uh. like prey and you get out of a cage at 40 feet down and not on the top of the surface and looking like a fucking seal that they don't want anything to, you know, they really don't want that much to do with you. And so, you know, we were testing some stuff for a study we're involved in centered around fear, but the ability to do that is like, look, we're hardwired for the same thing sharks are. Sharks can detect things in in like milliseconds. Boom. 
They know, they know things have changed in the water. Erratic behavior, boom, they feel that vibration. Change. We have that. You walk into a room, especially with your family, and you know when dad or mom's mood's off without them even doing anything, right? We're, we're hardwired for all this stuff, but we ignore it. And, and we downplay it. And then we, then we fill our heads full of things that are unnecessary to, to like, I, I need to know my heart rate <laughs> yeah. or my heart rate variability score in order to uh, move on with my yeah. day now. And the, I mean, I'm just talking about the biohacker world, but this is kind of where it's moved into. And if, and if you, like, dude, like, you're, like, I'm literally going to a meeting right after this for a company that, that's really, they're bringing me in to help with their, you know, a lot of the tech they're using centered around their testing. And I'm probably going to blow holes in a lot of it and give them really some really easy solutions to things that they won't believe at first because we're not understanding that we haven't tapped our own biology. We think that the technology is going to do for more for us than we can do for ourselves. And in some aspects, I get maybe it can, but in most aspects, it cannot. This is a good a good place to go for somebody back to you being the bre- back to you being the breathing guy for somebody that they want to learn how to you know whether it's the CO two or holding their breath or just understanding that they can push themselves past limits that their brain is telling them that they can push past if they today were going to do a breathing drill or do something that can help them get into that or experience what you teach what would be the first step for like even for me where would I even go. I'm, besides the links below in the bio yeah. and all that jazz, yeah. what first, do they do today? First, just s- switch to breathing out of your nose through, through at least at least 80% of the things you're doing. And mm-hmm. that even means 80% of your working out. Damn. Yeah. But <laughs> I promise you this. As badly as you think it's going to be within a few weeks it'll be in a place that you wouldn't believe it would be you're gonna make changes that do like look our ability to utilize oxygen sits at the forefront of human evolution it sits at the forefront of all training it it is the thing right whether you want to put on more muscle get stronger or run further Oxygen is at the forefront of all of that. Your ability to utilize it should sit at the it should sit at the foundation of that. And so, if we can actually start to get you to do that, I promise you this: you'll see the changes. Like, look, I got we got people who just do some nasal breathing in their CrossFit workouts, and uh, my buddy's wife just went up, went out to Santa Fe and she was doing some animal camp at eight thousand feet. They live in Virginia Beach; they're on the water. They, day three, they had to have a day off because everybody was getting altitude sickness. And she's like, I don't know what, why everybody was getting sick. I was perfectly fine. Mm. Yeah, because it's not the oxygen, it's the pressure. And your utilization of carbon dioxide actually has an impact on how you use oxygen at altitude. Therefore, if we can change that, this is what you'll see in Sherpas and people, you know, these people who live at high altitude. It's yes, they might have bigger spleens, but they also have a massive carbon dioxide tolerance. Do you think it's ironic that free divers and big wave surfers are some of the most docile, understressed human beings in the world? 
They're not, go, go spend time with them. Like, so get that going. Do some slower controlled breathing through your nose. Just let, when you work out, spend 80% of your time doing that. Um, you know, obviously the art of breath, what we do on power, speed, endurance focuses around that, you know, um, and, and, and that, that will inevitably lay a foundation. Now that's just the foundation. There are plenty of places to go upwards from that in any way you want to go. Hmm. That's perfect. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to do it today. BMAC, this is wonderful. I have one question before I go. Um, mm-hmm. What is your spirit animal? Um, probably say the owl. I mean, it's tattooed on my back. It covers my entire back. BMAC, guess what card I pulled today? What? The owl. The owl. I've never pulled an owl before, and I got the owl today. <laughs> That makes me so happy. Uh, I, just, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's you're, that's, that's you're, hysterical. That's wonderful. Um, awesome. So, I, I mean, just for everybody, all the links below of BMAC are there. He Shiftstate.io. This is your more of the mental, psychological side. D- the things that you're really talking about on your Instagram, which everyone needs to go follow, underscore Brian McKenzie, M-A-C-K. M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. And then, of course, powerspeedendurance.com slash art of breath. Um, for real, you were one of my first books in the endurance world, Power Speed Endurance. I was one of your first purchasers. So this is really fun for me to wow, be you. able to talk to you. That's it, everybody. I am actually going to keep the uh, kind of bad audio part because I think it's so good. Even though it's a little choppy, I... If you don't mind it, you're going to learn a lot of things. So it's at the end if you just want to keep listening. Um, But for Brian McKenzie, just be sure you follow him, underscore Brian McKenzie, and all the links below to get a hold of him and just to have good conversations, whether it's about performance and breathing, seminars, workshops. He's just doing a lot of rad stuff. So stoked about this podcast. And again, all the things are happening. Go to emilystrom.com. Get on my newsletter or join my Facebook group. You'll be the first to know about Handle the Hangry Challenge, the Body Awareness Project Part 3, Digestion and Gut that's going to launch, and a new website on emilystrom.com. So lots of fun stuff are happening, is happening. It's a little overwhelming, but that's life. And can't wait to share with you. See you next Wednesday. We talk about it is because of, um, yeah, I mean, I, the bigger picture of all this stuff is, is too hard to actually explain to people, even myself to understand to some degree. So, um, what we've found and stumbled on was that carbon dioxide and Patrick McHune wrote an incredible book called the oxygen advantage. And, um, I, I was well, I, I was aware of the work that he was invested in for some time, um, which is the Buteco method. He basically modernized this methodology that was employed in Russian medicine for some years. And it was used as the first line of defense for asthmatics in Russian medicine. So they didn't actually get inhalers. They actually had to do breath training prior to actually getting an inhaler. Um, And what they were figuring out back then and what yoga figured out 5,000 years ago was that breath control changes how we're actually using oxygen. 
And it only happens as a result of what we're doing with carbon dioxide. So my inhale, whether I'm inhaling through my nose or my mouth, I don't absorb any more oxygen really either way. In fact, I've got more mechanisms set up through inhaling air through my nose or oxygen through my nose, it, which is 21% oxygen, than I do through my mouth. So I've got things that help with the absorption, but the biggest culprit in oxygen absorption is carbon dioxide. And so there's this thing called the Wasserman gears. And I'll simplify this. Think of three gears, right? And inhaling is, the, is coming into the gear. Then you drop down and circulation happens. And then you come around the last gear and this is what happens with your metabolism, right? So aerobic metabolism, where we think of energy, ATP mm -hmm. is being created. The basic function of that is oxygen, but the byproduct of our energy is carbon dioxide and water. So when we create energy with ATP, we create energy, water, carbon dioxide. That carbon dioxide comes back around and it goes up through circulation. In circulation, order to knock oxygen molecules off of the red blood cells in order for them, the oxygen to be available. Hmm. then it comes back through exhalation. And this is what we exhale. So when we control our breathing, if we think of a free diver, and this is the easiest thing for people to do or anybody holding their breath, right? But we'll have to go to a free diver because they're the ones pushing the limits of what this actually does. Hmm. So when a free diver holds their breath, they're actually maximizing all that oxygen getting that CO2 to knock those oxygen molecules off as it then we go and hold our breath, trained our tolerance to it and understood the mechanisms in it. And so carbon dioxide is kind of that burning feeling or need for air. And we call it, I need to breathe. <laughs> and it's not, it's I need to offload. So this is the meta kind of looking at it from the metabolic or physiological component. Now, when we go up to the brain, our brain works from a top-down situation. So our cortex, right, the neocortex, and there's many pieces to it, is the most evolved part of our brain. And th this is what really makes us human. This is where stories, this is what creates you, this is what creates me, who I, you know, what I want to be, or our version of what we think we are, right? And I won't go too far into that. But <laughs> down from that, is our limbic system where emotions are created. So we then attach an emotion to what that story or the context or our conversation right now. So you're smiling right now. So you're creating an emotional response to the things I'm kind of talking about, right? So this is having a reaction. Well, from that limbic system, it then shunts down to our brainstem, which is what you could call it your reptilian brain, the oldest part of the brain. Right. And that that brainstem is our reactive self. And this is where many pieces of what we do are set up, including our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems where they branch out. Right. But mainly when I talk about this, we're talking about our sympathetic branch and reactionary things. When you breathe, it is sympathetic. 
a lot of people, including yogis, will talk about how when we exhale, it's a, it's a parasympathetic response. And it is mm -hmm. not a parasympathetic response. It is an inhibition of sympathetic. So when I exhale long and slow, I'm inhibiting sympathetic tone, but that sympathetic state or the sympathetic reactions or the on switches are right next to where the breath centers are, lay, are, are, are setting, right? Mm. So those breath centers are set up to detect carbon dioxide and pressure. These are called chemoreceptors and baroreceptors. There's set up in the aortic near the heart on the way out and in the carotid on the way out. So we're shooting to the periphery. It's not in. So think about that. Mm -hmm. Everything going to the brain or going out to the periphery is being detected in order to understand what's going on. And so that signal when I'm CO2 intolerant or regardless of where I am, when my, where, where I'm comfortable at consciously, with CO2 triggers a breathing mechanism unconsciously. Mm. This is why we've fallen into breath training, even for athletes, intra-training or intra-competition, because we've seen when we start to learn to control breathing, not only are we controlling what's happening metabolically, which is basically what everybody's looking to do with training, Mm -hmm. but consciously and cognitively we are making radical changes or we're creating what is called plasticity all right for real for real this is em again we are done that is the final part of the podcast and if you aren't familiar we have done a couple podcasts on neuroplasticity whether it's emily fletcher talking about meditation and breath work is very similar to what he's saying here. And then also even way, 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 way back when the audio was real shitty, uh, talking about how we basically with neuroplasticity are retraining our brain, which all of us are trying to do when we're making habits, when we're trying to be healthier, when we're trying to stop these patterns of behavior that we got to get out of in order to grow. So this is just bringing it home in so many ways. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for your patience with the reshuffling and I hope you followed along okay. And I'll see you guys next Wednesday.